please be seated. I love that bass drum kick. It's like at the end of a fireworks show where the big boom, boom, you just feel it in your chest. You're like, ah, this is so awesome. I love chewing on beef jerky or turkey jerky. Who put water in my coffee cup? <laughs> Joke from last week. There's no water in my coffee cup. I love chewing on a bone, especially a T-bone, okay? And then when I get, you know, you just like go for it. Especially like if you're in a, like a super fancy restaurant, you know, and they bring out a steak, you know, and you get rid of the steak, then you're like, I'm going for this. <laughs> you just like stuff it in your mouth and you're getting everything. And then when I'm done, Zella effectively converts la- what's left into a tasty dr- Pork ribs, I love chewing on pork ribs, a good chicken wing. I can eat a chicken wing about as fast as anyone in this room. That's you in the back, I see you. Sunflower seeds, yeah, love chewing on those. Tobacco, not so much. Uh, I tried Copenhagen once, uh, but you know that story. I vomited opening night of a school musical. It wasn't a pretty scene. (laughs) My dad would chew on gum. He preferred big red, but would also do double mint in a pinch, and uh, every once in a while do a throwback with Beeman's. My mom would only chew her food (laughs) with her mouth closed, something that I haven't fully mastered. Straws. I would chew on a straw. Have you ever done this? Okay. You stick a straw in your mouth and you chew it, you know? When I was a little guy once, you know, I was wanting to flirt with a dangerous side of life. And I thought, what would it be like if you tried to smoke a straw? (laughs) So what I did was I took the little paper wrapper, rolled it up really tight, stuck it inside the straw. Okay. Don't do this at home. And I lit it up. Oh, was I sick. It was just horrible. Love chewing, although it's really not chewing, but getting the marrow out of a bone. Have you ever done this? Man, it is a hit of fat that is rich beyond human comprehension. And then there's the chewing metaphors, right? Right? We chew on things at night, on the water, right after the sun goes down. I love being on the water when the sun goes down, okay? And fairness in conversation, don't ticket me, but I love going in stealth mode, okay? Little 15 horse, wee. Sometimes Zella is with me. Sometimes I stop by my friend John's garage, assuming the light is on, the door is open. I always make sure I call out before I step foot in the space. I don't think he'd shoot me, but you know, you don't want to surprise a guy, right? And then we chew together, sometimes with a cup, sometimes with a pipe. Chew on this. Chew on this. Again, as a reminder, the writer of Hebrews uses a variety of tools to remind his sophisticated audience that they should trust Jesus. And in this week and the next week, to be careful, but to be more than careful. The writer, in no uncertain term, warns, sounds a bell, makes a clarion call, challenges, which might not even be strong enough, an expression, for his audience to pay attention. Page 1003, verse 11, chapter 5. About this, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. I recently went and got my hearing tested, and I have bilateral hearing loss, okay? So, so this ear hears okay, but this ear doesn't hear quite as well, okay? So sometimes I'll go like this. And, and, but when I look at the two lines, okay, they're like right next to each other. It's just that this ear is above the line, and this ear is below the line, and I'm losing my hearing, okay? And some might argue it's because when I was young, I shot a fair amount, and the left ear was open to the muzzle. Others might argue it's another one of those congenital things that my my parents, especially my father, gave me, but it's hard to blame them since they're both gone and in heaven. Dull of hearing. It's really an insult. (laughs) I mean, he's not trying to be soft. She's not trying to be soft. 
the writer of Hebrews isn't trying to be soft. They're, they're trying to say, no, you're, you're, you're stupid. <laughs> not because you lack the ability to, her, to the audience, okay? Not to us here, but to the audience of Hebrews, right? You're stupid. This week, maybe last week, and certainly next week, are some of the most deep passages from a theological perspective, so said a great theologian. And I agree, but like most deep passages, they are easily understandable. Augustine, St. Jerome, others have said it. The Bible and the theology of the Bible is, is shallow enough for a child to wade into and not drown, and deep enough for an element, elephant to swim in. It's easy to understand. It's deep enough to get lost in the wonder. And the author of Hebrews says, we have much to say. What's the much that they have to say? The about what is Jesus, as the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We worry about the Melchizedekian reference, which to be sure is obscure, okay, and has a great deal of mystery with it. We'll unpack it in chapter 7 to some degree. The author, speaking to people certainly who are informed by a Jewish faith tradition, maybe even former Jews themselves, would be tempted to be, wait, what did you say? Jesus, in addition to everything else, is also a Melchizedekian high priest? What? But that aside, we could be stymied with that without even thinking about the thing that we should be most concerned about. Am I sharp or am I dull? The author, nothing like insulting your audience, right? You're stupid. That's why you don't get this. You're unable to hear. You remain focused on the wrong thing. And yet we read a text like this today, and we don't heed the warnings. We somehow think, not, not me, not me. You know, I'm above average. If everyone's above average, how does that work? Don't there have to be some people who are below average? For average to make any sense at all? And so if the author of Hebrews were here today, not that I know, the author might say, hey, some of you, some of you might be missing this. Some of you, including the person standing on stage, just might be stupid, hard to hear. We somehow think, not me. And yet the people of God, or at least the history of some of the people who would identify themselves as a person of God, does not heed this warning. We tend to not take this text and other texts like it, and the text coming up next week, we tend to take them not seriously at all. I mean, we think, oh, well, we hold an orthodox position on this current event issue or this current event issue. On any number of topics, our orthodoxy is strong. But tragically, we can find ourselves distant from God and wondering why, or perhaps not even recognizing that we are distant from God. 
so comfortable in our daily oblivion as to exclude any thought that we may not be anywhere near the orbit of God. And so I want to take this text seriously. I want to read these words and not say, well, they're not talking about me because I'm sharp. I'm not dull. I'm smart. I'm not stupid. But what we try to do here at Timberwood Church is we try to take seriously what the Bible says. These admonitions. And we have frequently said, you should know this by heart by now. The biggest obstacle to my faith walk is me. The biggest obstacle to your faith walk is you. It's not the government. It's not the other side politically. It's certainly not the culture. It's why we place the emphasis here at Timberwood Church on spiritual formation. How our lives as individuals and collectively are being formed to follow Jesus Christ. How we want to not disregard these texts, but to take them seriously. And we have the first of four implied comparisons. Are we sharp or are we dull? And we're going to continually circle around this idea that the author is attempting to further. That that we, the hearers, should be further along in our faith journey. About this, we have much to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. First comparison. Second comparison. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, teaching or being taught. Now, please understand the basics are super important, right? It's super important. Knowing who Jesus Christ is, super important. Knowing that our sins can be forgiven, super important. Knowing that we need to follow Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, super important. Super, super, super important. Not saying, the author of Hebrews, not saying that the basics aren't important. Just saying, you should be beyond the basics. I should be beyond the basics. The basics should be mastered. We should be beyond where we are at. We should be teaching, not being taught. Some folks say, if everyone's going to be a teacher, what would you do for a living? I don't know. Maybe go back to accounting. Probably not. Uh, are you teaching or are you being taught? And certainly we can learn from others around us, right? So we should always be being taught. But are we teaching? Th- through our lives, what am I teaching you? What are you teaching me? Or perhaps you don't want to teach. You're like, no thanks. I don't want to be in that spot. I don't want to be a leader. But there seems to be a pretty strong implication that you should be able to teach, that irrespective of who we are, if we are followers of Christ, at our lives, at some level, should be instructive to those around us. And what we do matters. How we drive matters. The bumper stickers we have on our card matters. How we get angry matters. How we conduct ourselves in business matters because people are watching continually. 
one of the things that I find frustrating about my particular vocation is that often people won't allow me the space to get angry or get mad or get upset about something, and so I just have to bite my tongue. That's why I have stitches so often. Right? I often face this. I'm like, okay, wait a second. Why can't I get mad? Because you seem to be able to get mad. Why can't I express disappointment? Because you seem to be a no one here, right? But just, you know what I'm saying? And then in another breath, shouldn't we all think that way? Shouldn't we be viewing our lives and our actions and our reactions through a lens of whether or not they speak to the God that we serve? So getting into a discussion or wearing a t-shirt or wearing this or that or doing this or that or talking about this or that. Shouldn't we be teaching the world around us what a faithful follower of Jesus Christ looks like? For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Third comparison, lactose intolerant. That's not what we're talking about. Milk, it's what you feed a baby, whether it's a cow or a horse or a donkey or a little kitty or a puppy, a little baby human. It's the idea of mother's milk, right? It's not suggesting that an adult will not drink an ice cold glass of milk with a fresh chocolate chip cookie or a plate of fresh chocolate chip cookies. But it is suggesting that as an adult, you shouldn't be nursing. Fair enough. That's the imagery. That's the imagery. You Even if you can go with nursing as long as you possibly can, like when you hit 12, 13, 14, shouldn't be nursing. And that's the imagery of the text. And we laugh and we joke about it, and I could go further because really I have it inside of me to go further, but I'll stop. We shouldn't be nursing. We should be further along. Continually circling around this idea that we should be further along in the old faith journey. How do we recognize this? There's a hint, right? For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Do I, as a person, embody righteousness? A fancy way of saying, do I live right? How do I live? Is it righteous? Is it right living? Is it informed by this book? Is it informed by the central character of this book? And if how I'm living doesn't square within this book or with the central character of the book, hashtag Jesus, then I ought to change. There are a lot of people who are right but are not anywhere close to right living. And likewise, there are a lot of people left but not anywhere close to right living. It's not a political party. 
It's not the standards of the majority or the minority. It's not history, save for the reality of learning what is right or wrong that can either be repeated or stopped. It's challenging. Shouldn't we be further along? Yesterday, Tom, uh, Tanya was flipping through social media, and there was a, one of those, hey, remember when? And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a remember when, shouldn't we be further along kind of idea, right? The remember when, you know, like 50, 60 years ago, you'd get an owner's manual for a car, and it would include instructions on how to adjust your valves in the engine. And today, the instructions for a car tell you not to drink the battery acid. Shouldn't, shouldn't we be further along? is what the Hebrew writer is saying. Shouldn't we... Text continues. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Solid food, having the power to discern between good and evil. Who sets the standard here? Again, the book and the central character of the book. Continually circling around this idea that we should be further along in the old faith journey. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from instructions, I'm sorry, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washing, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Beyond having to be told you need to repent and turn to God. Again, it's not so much what we're, we're telling, it's, it's how we're doing. The, the writer of Hebrews anticipates that we will be, be beyond the things that, 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 that kill us. The writer of Hebrews is like, aren't we further than this? Unconfessed sin will kill us. Lack of repentance will kill us. Shouldn't we be further than this? The writer of Hebrews is arguing. Beyond basic instructions of washing, okay? Here's some uh, little bit you can twist with this if you want. Are we referring to Jewish ceremonial washings, which would have been discarded, slowly discarded? Um, Are we referring to baptisms, the laying on of hands, prayers for the Holy Spirit? We don't know exactly what the author of Hebrews is working towards, but again, these foundational things. The next one, beyond the hope of the resurrection. Do we seem to live without hope? This one hits hard, right? I read the news today, oh boy. Ugh, it's just a weight, right? You read the headlines and the energy. The life is just drained out of us. The writer of Hebrews is like, no, 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 no. You, you should know about the hope of the resurrection. You should know about the hope and the reality that we can live with because of the future that will yet unfold, that falls in our favor. We should be beyond eternal judgment. 
that some people seem to live without embracing the reality of a future accounting, a final audit of personal behavior. And the writer of Hebrews is like, you should know. You should live in such a way so that that final accounting, that final audit comes back favorable to you. All of these things are baseline, core issues, prerequisites for life, the minimal standard, the things that we should already embody that we shouldn't need to be reminded of that we are continually circling around this idea that we should be further along in the old faith journey. And so we land on Hebrews 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity. This last week, there was an article by Russ Douthat in the New York Times. Some of you guys don't like the Times. I get that. Russ Douthat is a, uh, extremely conservative. He's a Catholic. He would be uh, check all the boxes that you would check to be recognized both as a political conservative and a religious conservative. The, the intriguing article is that it is basically a, a guide to finding faith, okay? And so once in a while, he does this. Um, and, and so he does this essay for readers— a suggested blueprint for thinking your way into religious belief, okay? And if you want the article, I'll send it to you. It's a great article. It's, um, yeah, no, yeah, it's really good. At any rate, he takes on this new atheist, a character by the name of Daniel Dennett, okay? And basically how Dennett argues that, that we need to step away from faith, okay? That, come on, just take, just take a step beyond faith, okay? Faith is this, this myth, this idea, the, 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 the space fairy, whatever you want to see. And so, he, see, he argues this way, right, against Dennett. He says, thus, the self that we identify as Daniel Dennett doesn't actually exist, even though that same illusionary self has somehow figured out the true nature of reality. So it's just kind of a, it's kind of a fun article. Okay, so if you want it, let me know. What's valuable is how he ends it. These are fair questions, but this essay isn't titled How to Become a Presbyterian or How to Know Which Faith is True. The spell-breaking I'm offering here is a beginning, not an end. It creates an obligation without telling you how exactly to fulfill it. And among the many things that I want my life to be about is creating that sense for people that know me and people that I know. The book describes human behavior that honors Christ. And I want to honor what the book says as best I can do. But I fail all the time. And there's a mechanism for dealing with that, right? Forgiveness, elementary teachings of Christ. But I want to create the obligation, not only in my brain, in my soul, but in your brain, in your soul. That faith isn't something that just happens on Sunday morning, although this is incredibly important, what we do. There, there's nothing better than what we experienced this morning. That first five songs that we bit off this morning, I'm like, let's go. Let's just be done right now. Let's go to Jesus.
But I want to create and place an obligation on you and me to take this life seriously. Again, quoting Ross. You can recognize instead that reality is probably not as materialism describes it. And whether you're a philosopher or not, you get that, right? There's more to the world than the stuff that we have and the stuff that we can buy and the stuff that we can possess. And take up this obligation of a serious human being preparing for life and death alike to move forward, to step through. Please pray with me. I invite you to chew on that. I'm making an appeal to your soul. To enjoy the community of faith, whether we're visiting for the first time today or whether we've been here for the last 17 years. that we celebrate together and we align our hearts, that we start the week in the presence of the Spirit. But there, there is an obligation that each of us carry who hears these words. An obligation to take our personal faith journey seriously. Listen to the Spirit challenging you in this way, in this time, in Jesus' name. I invite you to please.